1: Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Today, we look back on the Women's Champions League from the weekend. It did not disappoint. 11 goals across both ties as Barcelona put on a show against Wolfsburg and Lyon battled past their title rivals PSG. Gets away from Janssen. Now, Graham Hansen can keep on going. Graham Hansen to make it two. A brilliant finish against her former club... Barcelona well in control and they've got two. Back in the WSL, Champions League qualification is no longer in Man United's hands. What exactly has gone wrong? And with news that the government will be conducting an in-depth review into women's football, we ask, what's it all for and how can the government and the FA truly build for the Euros? Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards Egerberg qui va lever son ballon. Oui, ça va être bizarre. Et celui-ci est d'une très, très haute importance.
2: Le nouveau doublé pour Ada Egerberg.
1: Before we get stuck into the Champions League, because it's hot enough, I want to ask Chloe about her Hot weekend. Nice. In Bromley. <laughs> Amazing segue. Last Palace home game of the season. Seamless. Yes. I've seen a lot of
2: cute, wholesome stuff on social media. A big win, big crowd. It was great vibes. It was beautiful. Like, honestly, couldn't have been a better day. Um, we had so many of the youngsters, like from Palace and all their families come down. We had a few birthdays. We were taking out like, loads Aww. of shots and doing all signatures and things like that at the end. And you know, it was massive because I think we've got such amazing fans that sort of travel with us all over the country. And, you know, they've got the banners up and things like that. And at the end, it was just like a real kind of like heartwarming thing. And I think that's the thing with, you know, you come to the end of the season, you don't know who you're going to be playing with next year or where people are going to be. And, you know, it's really quite emotional. Like when you look back and sort of see what we've achieved this season and, and you know, we couldn't be proud of the girls for, for all the hard work and effort that's gone in. So, it, yeah, it felt a bit like... Cute. You know,
3: heartwarming, but like sad, but also like emotional and wonderful. I'm kind of starting to think maybe that Box Park Wembley shout out worked. I think it did. Yeah. I mean, we had
2: a pretty decent crowd. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, um you know, Bromley FC is pretty difficult ground to get to. Um, But we had a pretty decent classic crowd vibes. vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Literally classic women's football vibes. Um, But yeah, it was just a beautiful day. Yeah. Really lovely atmosphere. I've got two questions for you. I'll oh go gosh. with the hard
1: question first. When is everyone going to find out about their future at Palace? Like, that's
2: kind of obviously <sighs> going to be an awkward time. So how soon after the season do you find out? Um, so technically, I mean, our contracts sort of end in the next few weeks and, and month or so. And then we start having the, con- the the contract talks in the next couple of weeks. Okay. So it's, uh, yeah, it, can be, it, it gets nervy every single year around this time. Anxiety is high. Yeah. Legal head on? Yes. You know, look yeah. at those contracts, thinking about your next move, your strategies and things. This yes. whole changing room's out of order. <laughs> <laughs> Tough negotiator, Chloe Morgan. You can't handle the truth. Literally, <laughs> that kind of talk gets you kicked out of a club. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and then my more fun question is: How have you been perfecting your signature for all the autographs you're you're giving the your adoring fans at, at Bromley? Has it taken you a while to master what you want your signature to look like?
2: Uh, to be honest my signature is a bit of a shit show but oh, yeah. because, um, my, it's it's just see 69 quick little why would it be 69 <laughs> why not why, why would not? it be 69 if why I'm wouldn't it be signing programs for children <laughs> what's wrong with you do you
3: do full name or do you do like initials yeah. so you do
2: you see Morg let's just do a CM and then the number one
3: um, oh, number
2: one baby yeah. we yeah. the best <laughs> 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 but then I need to remember like when I go back into the office I can't sign off a client letter CM number one. Oh, oh my god, god
1: you should it's a bit much you absolutely should number um, one lawyer Chloe we're due in court next week but um, you seem to have signed this CM1 uh, you're damn confused. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did because I'm number one baby um, love it well hope you finish the season strong away at Sheffield United you got absolutely smashed by Liverpool so do you think that bodes well for you
2: guys or? absolutely we're going to hit them while they're down
1: apparently um, so, awesome.
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: fighting talk very fighting talk um, let's get on to the Champions League because I don't know I prefer the semi-finals to be mid-week I think they get a bit lost in the weekend's football when
3: they're I was across the weekend. I was not expecting it. I, I don't think anyone was. We, we asked Emma Hayes about it on her press conference on Friday and she was like, didn't even know it was tonight. Thanks for telling me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it kind of came out of nowhere. And obviously because an English team isn't involved, it's like we're obviously going to be less aware of it in our own little bubbles. But I think they've been on the weekends for quite a while. Now, they certainly were last season, because I remember doing that by Munich semi-final Chelsea had on the Sunday. But yeah, it's a bit frustrating because I do think, especially with the way the men's calendar is it could have worked really well if it was like Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday night, although they did, well, they had didn't have men's League last week. Anyway, it's getting lost in the calendar. But whatever, I think Friday and Sunday was a bit strange. The Barcelona game kicked off at 5.45 UK because it was a public holiday in Spain, so they changed the kickoff time. It was all just a bit strange. I feel like it got lost, but two very interesting games um i was meeting some friends in the pub to watch barcelona wolfsburg and uh i got there and it was already 2-0 to barcelona <laughs> and i was like oh, okay and then three more went in very quickly um so that was interesting but shout out the red line and angel for sticking to zone on all of the TVs and we made friends with this like hilarious old man who uh, was alone drinking in there and was like wow what a crowd and like he was really into it and like he was great little New ally for women's football, but also featuring on our podcast next week. Yeah, <laughs> bring him in. <laughs> a Few points in, Um but yeah, it was a it was a weird game. It was a weird game because I feel a bit like when Arsenal played uh, Barcelona at home. As soon as you make a mistake, and it almost gets into your head against Barcelona, it like crumbles so quickly, and it can unravel so quickly, and that's kind of what happened to Wolfsburg.
3: Yeah, and I, I, don't, I feel like it, it gets into. Th- Barcelona's head they like smell blood mm. and suddenly it's like all guns blazing and I'm getting really distracted by a fly flying around the studio um, and <laughs> yeah I feel like it, well, it, um, what were your thoughts on Barcelona fly <laughs> uh, it's now on my, my computer screen so um, I think yeah once you land in that early goal against Barcelona pff, man I, it just it New feels like floodgates, yeah right? and I would have thought I would have expected more from Wolfsburg in terms of their experience in the Champions League they have played big games before they have played tough teams before um, and I didn't expect them to crumble quite mm. so quickly to be honest I expected that from inexperienced teams from England um, it was almost like a, 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 the Chelsea-Barcelona final vibes mm. where Wolfsburg just didn't seem to turn up but I know Oberdorf was injured you know she's a key player but I'd like to think Wolfsburg there's are, enough talent yeah. in
1: there I mean um Ewa Pajor is still working her way back to full fitness, so she came on as a sub and she would have ideally been starting for them if she had been, but it's a bit too early, I think, to throw her in. But they've still got talent there. Pop, Jill Roord, who's had a good Champions League campaign, got Wolfsburg's kind of... Um, uh,
2: sympathy goal towards the end of the game. But ugh, it's an uphill battle, isn't it? It was just disappointing. I think I just expected more from them. Um, and I was surprised to see, I mean, Wolfsburg kept playing this very high line at the yeah, back. That yeah, that was ridiculous. And it was Stop. so high what that are just you just kept doing? caught out every single yeah. time. I was like, it's a really easy fix. Just yeah. don't play that high. It's just high a simple ball working. through or over the top and you're
1: done. Yeah. Destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. And then in the second half, I think they adapted things a little bit, sat a little bit deeper. But then... Barcelona were so good at playing through them. The movement is so good. I mean, they genuinely could play football with blindfolds on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The I think was it was it Han, like Graham Hansen who made that dummy where she let it roll between her legs for maybe the third goal. I kind of lost count of what goal was what, but there was or maybe it actually was just a chance. But there was one where she was kind of standing at the edge of the box, let the ball roll through her legs. And oh, it, was just, it was ridiculous. And, and I can't remember who had the chance, but they dropped in
3: behind her and they just knew the ball was going to fall. It was just so good. It's poetry on the pitch. Um, Like, what's a bit frustrating is what I like about this new format is you as fans and other teams get to see teams like Barcelona playing big, more big matches and playing up against different types of football. And... Look, every team is beatable. Don't ask me how to beat Barcelona, but every team is beatable. And Real Madrid came mighty close in that first leg. Yeah, and I—I I guess I would have expected a team like Wolfsburg to have figured out an area that they could exploit. Um, yeah, I've just yeah, I, just, I was a bit flat after the first half, a little bit disappointed. Um, kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for for Wolfsburg. Um so yeah, it's gonna be a bloody tough battle in the next
1: leg. Yeah, I wonder how they'll play it because I feel like that first leg from Real Madrid uh that they ended up narrowly losing and I think they were hard done by with a VA yeah. call in that pen they did so well because they matched Barcelona. They matched them with the press they matched them with the aggression And Barcelona couldn't cope with it. And I feel like we haven't seen anyone try and do that in the Champions League. We've seen Arsenal and now Wolfsburg, to an extent, try and wait for an opportunity, hit them on the break, play direct over the top and it not work because they're undone by a mistake and the whole situation crumbles in front of them. So I wonder if that is the way to do it. Obviously, (laughs) Real Madrid didn't end up having success with that. But it's almost like being aggressive might be the better option than what a lot of managers are trying at the moment, which is to sit and absorb and hope that you can stay organised, which Wolfsburg struggled to do, and then hit them on the
3: counter. Yeah, and I I would have expected them to try something like, you know, it's always going to be difficult to beat them. I think Wolfsburg know that. But to at least keep yourself in the tie in mm-hmm. the first leg, to at least try and keep yourself as close as possible so that, you know, when it does come to the second leg and it is at home... Maybe something can happen. Um, so yeah, I just yeah, I just I don't have words for it. I'm really quite disappointed.
2: I think it's that. I think they missed a the trick here. I mean, Real Madrid kind of set a template for how it's done, and I don't think any team has really fo- has taken any lessons from that and followed suit. This is I what mean, I it, mean. It was yeah. just like suffocate them. That's the only way to put out Barcelona fires and be and be really
1: them. aggressive and why wi- and wind them up. They were winding them up in that game. You know, there were a few bookings as yeah. well in that first half, but be interesting to see what happens Barcelona go into the second leg with a 5-1 lead but
3: like even Koya wasn't it Koya who like held them to a 1-0 in the in the early stages of the Champions League like there while Real Madrid has shown like a really potential way of of beating them that's another way that could potentially work so like you say I'm just surprised no one's kind of learned from what we've seen so far do in you, this Champions League do you think
1: that return leg Wolfsburg at home they're going to go for a damage limitation or they're just going to go all out do you think I mean because if you were a player I was thinking at half time I just wish the referee would blow, blow the whistle then and there because you're like what's the
3: point part of me feels like it's probably going to be damage limitation I don't think they'd want to see a Five, you know, five-one game yeah. in front of their own fans as well, and you know, I reckon it'll be damage limitation.
2: I disagree. I think they're going to go full force. I mean, at this point, they've got absolutely nothing to nothing lose, to lose. Yeah. so you might as well try a completely different tactic and go and go straight at straight at them. But I mean, that comes with its risks. The more mm-hmm. you press, the more you're exposed at the back. So it's either going to be five-five, or it's <laughs> going to end up at twenty-five. I mean, that, that would be iconic. Their second leg is this
1: Saturday at five PM. Wolfsburg at home, obviously going to be on the zone, as per. The other semi-final first leg was really spicy, really interesting. Um, a real kind of topsy turvy game. Uh Leon three, PSG two, a good crowd at the Group Armour as well. Um, PSG started things like dom- they dominated the first sort of like 15 minutes, got their goal, which did come from a a, a Leon mistake trying to play out from the back. Buchanan was just swarmed on lost possession. Renard was kind of like playing musical statues and got completely destroyed. It was like a Mexican standoff in the box. They
3: just like stared at each other for what felt like five, six seconds. And it was actually
1: ironic because uh, Jesse Varga Humphries tweeted about that video that I don't know if you saw um, at at, at halftime of the uh, Barcelona-Wolfsburg game that zone had done an interview with Dembele and Renard, and Renard was quoted saying, Yeah, I just never let anyone get past me. Oh, and then he was like, Oh, huh. And literally, well. two days later, it's like you just literally stone like Medusa's just hit you. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, like, um, that and so I thought, okay, PSG are, are causing problems, they've got such a good front line, uh, that you know, so many European teams and so many teams in their own league struggle to deal with and i have to say unfortunately psg were kind of undone by their goalkeeper's mistakes it could have been a whole different game i just i feel like every goal was a bit of a mistake to yeah, be honest tot- even the first yeah. goal all 3 of leon's goals came from her errors but
3: even even the psg goals that she should not be scoring on that inside post like that there and, yeah. and again Renard just stand, standing there looking at her. Every yeah. goal made me wince. Um, and, and and uh PSG's second as well. Like the, Leon really just I this is
1: what's quite funny about this game. It's like two two slightly chaotic defensive lines and goalkeepers completely out of sync, completely freaking out and um like Undoing all the good work yeah. of their attacking yeah. lines, it's yeah. bizarre
3: for the quality that was played kind of in between the boxes. Yeah, when it actually got to the boxes, it just kind of went like it just <laughs> fell apart like a wet cake. Do you know what I mean? I was like, What the hell is happening? This is not what
2: you'd expect. It's that, weird though, like, because I had a completely different take on some of those goalkeeping errors, and I think Goalkeepers, you. Oh my god, yay! tell me, tell me. I'm not gonna lie, because I think, because I was looking back and I was like, Okay, she's, I was thinking, literally, she's had a bit of a shit show here. I mean, mm. you just do have those games. But like I think in the second the the first goal the first goal Kotekova obviously come out she's tried to clear up the second ball and then it's gone to the penalty and I think the only reason that then becomes what she's done is technically accurate she's not she's followed up on the second ball tried to go out for it tried to get something on it and she's not gone for the yeah player. I think the penalty is probably touch. the least bad of the one hundred percent yeah, yeah. I think it's the touch that she takes that then sort of clips it it's away still a mistake her. still a, I don't think it's a mistake though she's done the right thing but it's because she gets the striker gets that little touch to take the ball mm-hmm. away that I think because what else is she going to no do? she has
1: no choice she has to to go for it
2: and I think then with the the second goal it was that uh, dodgy goal kick I think she sort of when I was looking back over the footage she actually slips as she's taking it and I don't think that's great and then obviously she should have followed it up she and
3: could... her defence were very slow to react mm.
2: very slow to react so I think that was poor and then the, the third goal I mean the, it was the pass back but I was thinking okay what's happening she's here? in no man's land she's like am I gonna go am I gonna stay it's the defender's fault She's passed it back, and then she's—it's almost a situation where Koskova has gone to go and strike it, just get the ball clear. She's her body language is open up, so she's going to strike and hoof that ball away. The defender is continued to run straight at her, and then almost at the last minute, it looked like she's about to take the ball off to the right hand side. So for me, I'd be thinking, she's yeah, my defender's deal with taking it. it. She's yeah. dealing with it. She's taking it away because she's not giving me enough time to actually clear the ball. And the worst thing you want to do is clear the ball—it bounces off your defender and goes straight back into the goal. So mm. for me, I was looking at Koskova and going, do you know, I'd be. Fuming at that, mm. it's not. I don't think what she had you, a bad as game as everyone's you, making out that
3: she did. What
1: do you think the words would have been in the change room after? Do you think, do you think words were were exchanged between her and? I her don't think anyone holds sense.
3: back a PSG, do they? No,
2: no. I mean, it's you a pretty saw volatile squad, isn't it? <laughs> Crossed when I was looking back over the clips. I mean, you. I mean, she was absolutely slamming into her defense. I mm. mean, when that that last goal went in, and and rightly so because I, I I think they made her look bad on occasion. Do you think she'll start the second leg? I think she should mm. I, I'm always I'm not a fan of when a goalkeeper makes a mistake taking Drama. them off I, I just I don't think
1: it's, it's only it's going to make good, the situation worse isn't it 100%
3: that? you need an opportunity to bounce back I tell you what when I saw that clip of that goal on Twitter like during when it just after it happened And I was just looking, I was like, who's, sorry, who's attacking and who's defending here Mm. (laughs) initially? I was like, I can't actually tell who's going for goal and who's not. I agree. I totally see where you're coming from from the goalkeeper's point of view. I think every goal was kind of a sloppy mistake, not necessarily putting the blame on anyone in particular. But there was a second one, almost goal, where um, right after it was handled in the box by Leon and they broke. And that VAR decision took bloody ages. Leon broke. She, uh, not knock, the player knocked the ball forward, and both the keeper and the defender were coming for it. And like you could see, the keeper was going, "Leave it, leave it, leave it. I've got it." And the defender was like, "Nah, I'm clearing it." And it, you can see
1: the lack of trust and confidence. And in I another. just think
3: that's where you've got your mm. stuff going on off the pitch is probably just influencing a little bit those relationships and those decisions on the pitch. Um there was a really good article from Charlotte Harper in the Athletic um, about the whole kind of situation and everything going on off the pitch. And after the kind of first Amraoui situation. Um, That happened a few months back. The PSG captain said, we can hate each other outside, but on the field, we have to manage to win. Which I just think is such a weird Mm. thing to say. Like to just be, it's cool. We can all hate each other when we're not playing. And you know what?
1: Weirdly, that is more of a Leon vibe because I remember both um, Megan Rapinoe saying in her book, and I think Shanice van der Sanding kind of hinted at it as well in a podcast that she did, that they both found playing at Leon really tough because it was a very individualistic environment. It wasn't really a squad that made friends with each other. Obviously, lots of individuals coming from all around the world. And it was a squad built on winning, Mm. but not built on being friends. And it's interesting now that PSG are almost like, um, you know, copying the mould of like, it doesn't matter if you hate each other. It doesn't matter if you can function in the the dressing Mm. room. You need to go out and win. But arguably, Chloe, you know, like, you have to. You have. It's a blend
2: of both. You can't be winning You can't win games when you hate your teammates. I agree. I think some of the best experiences that I've had and the most successful seasons I've had are where you get on and you have each other's backs on and off the pitch. I mean, with Palace now, I mean we have the, that kind of vibe, and it's it's not a coincidence that we now seem to be sitting at the the league. And the same thing with the uh, with the promotion up in with, with Spurs. It was the same vibe. We just absolutely loved each other, and it and it showed on the pitch. Yeah, I but you can separate the two. No, but the good thing is. Second leg, all to play for, which we can't really say is in,
3: it the, though, in the other game.
2: Is it all to play for?
1: No, I'm saying in, in, in this game, there's all to play oh, for, yeah, which for is sure. exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'll um, give you that. Cool. Go. <laughs> cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Saturday, 8pm for the PSG Leon rerun in Paris. Are you going, Rachel? I was keen to go, but I can't really make it work because it's Saturday and I'm going to be yeah, working.
3: I had a similar issue. Had been planning to go, but it is bloody expensive. Mm. So, no, unfortunately. And that's
1: why midweek... Probably could have gone, guys. Yeah. Nightmare. And it's Bank Holiday weekend as well in the UK, so it, it doesn't help pricing-wise. is, like, pricing proper pricey, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is a shame, but I'm sure they'll get a really good crowd there. The Ultras as well will be out in 4-4, so definitely watch that, because mm. that is going to be spicy. Um, and PSG and Leon still to play as well in the um, Division of femina. Uh, was that oh, quite good that was beautiful um, wow. 28th of May they're going to play which is the second last game of the season they finish their, their season on the 4th of June which is um quite late shall we say God, yeah, that is. Um, but at the moment Lyon still have a five point lead at the top of the table so even if PSG win that game they'll still be two points behind going into the last end of the season well that's if they win the next games as well so I think Lyon will probably take the title but If PSG knocked out the Champions League, that'd be pretty sweet revenge, wouldn't it? Um, After PSG won the title last season. And that is that. Cheers from the home fans at the Krukama Stadium because it's advantage to the side who have won this competition more than any other. Three-two winners over their rivals. Speaking of European football, looks like Manchester United may not be making the cut for the Champions League next season after drawing nil-nil with Aston Villa on Sunday. Firstly, shout out to Aston Villa because what a performance. One of the stars of the game has to be Anita Asante and we have to also shout out her. She's announcing her retirement on Tuesday morning, the day that we're recording this podcast. A brilliant little video as well that she's done. Mm. Like epic, epic production. Mm. I love that she's done that. I think it's so great when players kind of go that extra mile to announce it. Um, And yeah, what a servant to the game. 37. She talks about the titles she's won, winning the Champions League with Arsenal, over 70 caps for her country, played in two World Cups, played in the 2012 Olympics. What a career. And I'm very excited for the next step of her journey because it is just the beginning for her. And she's coupled that with being a fantastic, amazing person off the pitch, always used her platform to fight for equality and the rights of minority voices. And she deserves everything in the next step of her journey. And yeah, what a legend. Chloe, I know you've probably played against her we couldn't quite remember if you have but we reckon you have over the years potentially um, but you have you've done stuff with the off the pitch as well
2: maybe I couldn't recall actually ever playing against her I've done a few I think talks and, and seminars and things like that with her and you know, every time I've spoken to her, she's just such a lovely, kind human being. And and you're completely right. She's always used her platform to advocate for, you know, LGBTQ plus issues. And she's always been a very outspoken um, player about these kind of things and an incredible role model to, to generations of, of girls coming through. So for me, she's just, um, you know, I, I want to wish her the best in all of her retirement. But I don't think this is the last we'll hear of her. I'm, I'm assuming she'll probably do a lot more of the sort of commentary and punditry work. And, and, and I'd love to see more of her do that.
3: Yeah, agreed. I'm really like sad for us that we don't get to see her play after this season. Um, I don't feel like we kind of enjoyed it enough, um, you know, because now once, once that thing is taken away from you, you're like, damn, I actually am really going to miss seeing her play. When you read out all the things that she's achieved in her career, God, if she does even 50% of that outside of um playing football, she'll go on to do amazing things. And you could just see from social media today when she announced her retirement, the love from every corner of the game, Um, I think shows you what kind of person she is, both on and off the pitch. So she will be sorely missed on the pitch, but I think we'll be very lucky to have her in whatever capacity she she chooses to stay in the game.
1: Yeah, and I feel like when Farrah Williams retired last season, I did an interview with her for, for Red Bull's like internal magazine that you get on planes. It's like very niche, but it was very much about it her retirement being a real end of an era moment for a part of women's football history. And I feel like Anita's retirement feels quite similar. It's like a real segue, a real moment in time for the next generation to harness and, and take their moment. And I hope that they will be as powerful as influential and as inspiring as someone like Anita Asante has been because If we don't continue to have people like that in the game, it will be a huge loss for the future of women's football because you need those voices. And if anything, the players coming forward will probably coming up, you know, up the ranks will have a bit more to lose because they'll be on, you know, bigger deals. They'll be making more money, and they may be more protective of their platforms. Mm -hmm. And and the generation before didn't have that, so they knew that they could be more truthful because they had been through it already and they were looking ahead to the future to come. But I hope that they see what Anita's done and say, you know, I can, you can, you can do that too. You can be a leader on and off the pitch and use your voice uh, for good and 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 have that impact and leave that legacy. So yeah, shout out Anita Asante. What a legend and go and um, watch that video if you haven't seen it already, because it is brilliant. Um, so back to Manchester United. Nil-nil draw with Villa. City obviously on an unbelievable run, right on their shoulders in the table. They're now a point behind them, but with a game in hand, that game against Birmingham City that was called off because of COVID. It's not in their hands anymore, and it seems like it's going to be City's to take now. And it also has a bit of an impact on that last game of the season against Chelsea, because if if everything had been going towards that last day of the season and United knew that if they won that game, they'd be getting the Champions League, that would have made it much harder for, for Chelsea. But I feel like now Chelsea fans will be a little bit relieved because if City win that game and overtake United, then it's kind of like, you know, the pressure is off a little bit. It's not, I'm not saying United will just like chuck it in and be on the beach, but it does make it a slightly different affair.
3: But I guess with the last game of the season and all fixtures playing at the same time, they have to go into that game with the hope that man city don't win. So they know that they have to go into the chelsea game and they have to win every game like arsenal to be in with any chance of getting that champions league spot. So I think despite the fact that city now have their have the control of the situation, I don't think that takes any anything off that last game. I think it will still be just as important for them because or even more important because you know they really have to do absolutely everything whereas before when they had a bit more of a cushion you know a loss wouldn't have been as catastrophic Mm.
1: and Mm -hmm. i mean let's face it there is a fairly slim chance that birmingham are going to take points off city hey they did it against arsenal but (laughs) but birmingham's win over brighton at the weekend makes the relegation fight a little bit more interesting now and if birmingham were to take points off city that makes things difficult for leicester And it makes things preferable for Manchester United as well because it gives them back into fight. So that is there's a lot of nice little narratives building, and we may have things sewn up fairly well by the end of the end of the season on that last day. But I like the fact that these things aren't a foregone conclusion yet. But let's talk about Manchester United because when City were having all their struggles at the start of the season, I certainly gave them not a lot of hope of getting back into Champions League contention. I, know, I remember chatting to Tom Gary at the King Power when Man City went a goal down against Leicester City very early on and then pulled it back and won like 4-5-1 or five one or something. And he was telling me, no, City are definitely going to get Champions League. And I said, Tom, no way. They're not getting Champions League. So shout out to Tom Gary for calling it from day one. And I thought it was going to be United's uh, and they were going to hold on to it. But lo and behold, things have gone the way they have. City's goal difference is ridiculous as well. Um And United look to have dropped out of that. I mean, what do you guys think is the real difference? Because we had a message from Sue. Shout out, Sue. Very engaged, brilliant listener. And she was like, I want you guys to talk about this because she's disappointed as a United fan who goes to watch them, I think, home and away. And she expected a little bit more of them. And she feels disappointed with some of the tactics from Mark Skinner uh, and some of the, the ways they've gone about games. What are your guys' thoughts? Because I think they're still quite early on in their project. They've lost Yvonne to an ACL injury, which is huge. They had a very good, solid defensive foundation in 80% of their games this season. Weren't good enough in some of those key moments against bigger opposition like Chelsea and Arsenal. But they were building something. Perhaps it's
3: just a little bit too early for them. I agree with what you say about them being young. I think because they've been so... Uh, vocal about their ambitions since they kind of came into the WSL, we've maybe our expectations have been a bit too high um, for them to achieve something in such a short space of time. It sounds cliche, but I think experience has a massive part to do with it. Um, they are a relatively young squad; they've got a pretty much a new manager. He's only been there, you know, this is his first season. Um, and I think having experiences in those big moments and those big games is actually huge. Like realistically I know they've started well in previous seasons but realistically come this end of the season they haven't really had anything tangible to go for in terms of you know trophies or, or winning the league um, or that Champions League spot because it was only two. This season they had something tangible to fight for and maybe it's that lack of experience in those big games and those big moments when it's on them to keep their hands on that Champions League spot Um, that's maybe what's caused caused this. You know, they've had a huge number of draws. I think they've had the most number of draws in the WSL this season. And I think it's that experience of closing out games. Um, But this is something that they're going to go away with this season and put that in their experience bank. Um, I spoke to Emma Hayes about this, about her squad's experience in multiple different types of games and how they're able to draw on that when they're in a situation where they're down to 10 for 70 minutes, for example, that they're able to go on and win the game. And... It can be hard for a team or a player to think about that when they've just lost or just missed out on this opportunity. But when it comes around again, and I believe it will, they will have that experience of how to go that one step further. So that's, for me, what I think is what they're lacking.
2: I think, um, I don't think there's too much in it. I think we can look back on this season for for Man United and feel quite positively about what's happened. I mean, they're now pegging themselves against Man City, who are a well-established, title-winning team. Uh, loads of experience behind them and you look at uh, Man United now giving them an absolute run for their money this season I mean when you look at the goals for the goals against there's about a goal or so between Man City and Man United and they're one point between each other and I think you know for a club like Man United to go from championship level to, to this level in three years in three years is, is unbelievable so I think that rise has been astronomical but I think it was a consistency at the back end of the season that I think is where they've now tailed off I mean when you look at the last five games that have been played Man City have won every five get And all, and all bizarrely,
1: the it was the same under Casey Stoney. It hasn't actually changed that much because I remember okay. we were having similar conversations last season about whether or not they was going to get that third spot in the Champions League. And similarly, their season really tailed off. I think they lost to Brighton uh, and they drew a couple of games towards the end of the season and then it was like, right, game over. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a similar pattern. Like you say, the second half of the season building that
2: momentum that other clubs are doing so well it's that and I think it's it it gets really hard at the back end of the season everyone's tired you've got fatigue setting in people might be worried about their contracts and things like that loads of different things are happening sort of mentally for players at that time but that's when especially when you are so close to the end and so close of achieving something special for the club that's when it really needs to you need to step up not not coast or, or not even drop your standards that's when the step up needs to happen I think you know, for for Man United in the last couple of games, you know, getting those draws against West Ham and and, and Villa, they've lost they've essentially lost themselves four points there, and that four points could have been the the, the difference between the Champions League spot.
1: It's really interesting what you say as well, Rachel, because I remember back in November, I think after that Arsenal defeat, I wrote a piece specifically about the poor game management from Manchester United, and it's interesting to see what where is that. Where is that going to come from? Because they've got experience in that team. Nifa Manny and she was injured, very experienced player. Been playing the double for a very long time. Maria torres used to play for Chelsea. Hannah Blundell was at Chelsea for many years. Up the field, there's a little bit more inexperience with Toon, Russo. But defensively, Mary Ups now, I think, 29. They've got good foundations to be consistent and be winners. But really, it's, they need to show growth. I think in the cup competitions, yeah. if West Ham United are going to get to semi-finals twice in the space of four years, United with their budget and their amb- ambition should be getting there as well. I think they did have a tr- tough draw in the Conti Cup semis, getting Chelsea. If they had got Spurs, that would have I think they would have got them into the the Conti Cup final. But they need to be pushing more in those competitions because that is going to be a really good opportunity for them to taste success. And obviously, Champions League qualification is going to be massive. But as they're creeping towards having a good budget and competing in the the top four budget-wise against Arsenal, City, Chelsea, then you've got to compete in them for the similar trophies as well.
3: Yeah, and when I talk about experience, I mean as a group. And I think that is really quite valuable because when you're in those situations you need to know as a group how do we turn this around Um, and I think this will add to that for next season but I totally agree with the importance of tasting success and the importance of going far into these cup competitions will have a massive impact on how they do in the league so yeah it may not be Champions League for them this season but I certainly think that and trophies will come in the coming years and that's what I'll say to United fans is uh, keep your heads up. Be patient. Hashtag trust the process. Yes.
1: Another bit of news this week is the government uh, boo, Again. Um, has <laughs> confirmed that it's going to be launching an in-depth review into domestic women's football this summer with the aim of helping it close the gap with the men's game. What that means... No one, no one really knows. Um, but there was a very good review, actually, from Tracy Crouch, which I will give the government credit for. A fan-led review that was launched after the Super League plans, uh, and there were lots of different elements that were created as part of that report and the findings. And they, you know, they wanted to create an independent regulator, which they're trying to do, but um, the football bodies aren't particularly happy about it. Uh, they wanted more infam- fan involvement in the game. They obviously want to really focus on the grassroots and and the financial side of the game and ensure that the clubs are sustainable and they're they they protectors community assets. But a one point of that as well was about reviewing uh, the women's game and seeing what could be improved. I think Tracy Crouch is a good advocate for women's football. She's played it. I think she's she was coaching in it. You know she she knows the game well. So that's good because it's if she's involved, it's not going to be like people who are so completely unaware of how the system works or whatever but at the same time i don't necessarily think they're going to find anything that nobody didn't know and no no one knew before so that's why i just feel like it feels like a bit of a pr exercise for the sake of it whereas you could do something on a much smaller scale or even look at what reports that i'm sure the fa has created over the years and they they do they launch their new strategy every 4 years and they've just launched a new one i think last year didn't they with new targets um, You just look at that and that would kind of give you the answers. So I don't really understand what it's going to tell the you know
3: the world of women's football in the UK, anything that they don't already know. I think, you know, the fact that there's no kind of deadline that I've seen on it is, you know, makes me slightly nervous. But I think any review and an investment into women's sport on its own is good. So rather than it being tied up in something else, the fact that there is a review of women's football, I think, is a good thing. I also think the fact that the... Uh, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of all of the stuff that's already been done and, and what's out there and agree with the fact that we probably know a lot of this stuff already. But I think what this will do is at least give the government and the FA a bit more accountability in terms of you've you've seen what the issues are and what needs to be addressed. Now go and do it. You know, it's one thing having separate bodies identify these issues. But now, hopefully, I mean, maybe I'm getting my hopes up a bit too much. But if you're going to carry out a review like that and identify areas that need improving you're now hopefully going to have to be held accountable to go and improve those areas and to help invest in the game. But, you know, we've seen these you know, government reports on other things before and they've not always been entirely successful. Yeah, I Sue Gray, that. where
1: you at, hon. Like, that, <laughs> that play report's only been released yet. It's been like three months since that was launched. So, I don't know, I mean...
2: We all know there's things that can be improved, right? 100%. But I think it's one of those cases that we'll only know how effective the report has been or is when we get it. And mm. I think it could be a millennia before we see that report. <laughs> but I think the only kind of positive that I'm taking away from it is that the report not only includes the elite level, but also at grassroots. And I think for me, that's where there's been a lack of attention because the issues that women's football and non-binary people face at grassroots level completely different to the issues that we face at elite mm. level. I mean, access to pitch spaces and resources and, you know, people relying on volunteers and committees not sort of knowing the the structures and protocols and things like that. So I think that would be really interesting. I think, you know, any attention on that area would be, would be absolutely fantastic, really.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, say the government came in and said, well, if you are a, a local provider or a private company like Goals or Power League or whatever it is, you have to have protected space for women's football. I mean, that would be brilliant. That would be amazing. So something like that would be, I think, a really good idea because I don't think until you really embed yourself in the game do you realise how bad the access is for women and girls to play football, especially in cities like London, where there's block booking, pitch space is really expensive. I mean, that is such a barrier and is one of the many reasons why women's football is such a white space at the moment because women in inner cities are not given the opportunities to play football. So if they could come in and influence that, That'll I think be more
2: power to them. And I think um, a lot of how effective the report is going to be depends on who is chosen for that independent panel. I think I'd like to see sort of, you stick know, Chloe real, Morgan on there, my friends. I'm, I'm holding my hand up. I'm all about that. Put me in the game coach. 100%. I'll lead that bloody panel. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, you really do need a cross section of the women's football community. 100%. Um, you know, at every single level, clubs, organizations, uh, grassroots teams, coaches, everyone to be involved in 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 creating this report so that you really get a really genuine, authentic insight into what's happening at every level.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Uh we shall wait and see, shouldn't we? Uh what is everyone up to this weekend? I am going to be at Arsenal, Aston Villa. I nearly forgot them. But yeah,
2: Arsenal, Aston Villa at Boreham Wood. I'll be at the last game of the season in Sheffield. Sheffield away. Way. Cheeky little away trip. Um, it's not
1: too bad as well. It's not that far. It's it's okay. It's
2: manageable. It's not too bad. The main thing getting me through is that we're going out in Manchester on a oh, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Team big night out, end yeah. of season. And I've, I've literally just recovered from Box Park. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you're doing that Sunday night? Sunday night, yeah. And then Love sort that. of, um, you know, crawling back to, to She'll London still be London hanging Monday. next Tuesday. 100%. <laughs> I, I will be dying. I'm not saying that your game
1: isn't important, but... I know what you're saying. Listeners though. really should be keeping an eye on Watford-Cov-United's oh massive God. Because game. Because honestly, it is going to be so good. I don't know if it's going to be streamed, and I really hope someone will stream it, either Watford-Cov or the FA player, because I think we were chatting before about we don't think it's been picked yet. But essentially, it's a winner-takes-all shootout for championship survival. Kov have managed to almost claw back their 10-point deduction, got a quality squad, but they could do the great escape if they can beat Watford. But if Watford win or get a draw, Watford will stay up. Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, that game is definitely the one to keep an eye on. Rachel, where will you be?
3: Uh, I'm going to do Chelsea-Spurs on Thursday. Oh and yes, I'm there as well, King's Meadow. We're up in Manchester. We're gonna do Man City on Saturday. Uh Soph's doing Man United on Sunday um Sunday, twelve o'clock kickoff. I'm going down to Leicester and I think she's gonna go and do Birmingham on the way home. So quite she's a crazy busy man. she is, yeah. Crazy.
1: Wow. What a packed schedule you all have. Uh, enjoy your night out in Manchester. Can't wait for the picks. Oh, Think God. of us. Yeah, yeah, I will do. I'll do see you on Do a few bombs is. in our honour.
3: <laughs> <laughs> tequila for <from> me.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely tequila for me too. Uh, that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet for myself, at Girls on the Ball for Rach, or at Morgie underscore 89. We'll see you all next week. Up front is a stack production and part of the
0: ACAST Creative Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.